What's up, my people? Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church's Sermon Spotlight, where we're coming at you each and every week with a fresh weekend, a debrief, in an effort to send biblical truth. What better way to do that than by the power of conversation? I'm one of your hosts, Caleb Pearson. Joining me in the host spotlight, Miss Alicia Battaglia. Alicia, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good. Yeah. Didn't get to see you last week. How have yes. you been? Good. Uh, it was snowing last Tuesday, so, yep. uh, but it was good. And you are on the countdown. You have less than two weeks. So and this you is my last podcast man. as a single man. Wow. Yeah, wow. and then I'll be a husband. Wow. That's the word on the street. <laughs> Little so, Caleb Pearson. I know. It's exciting. That's proof. Hey, there's hope for anybody out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you've heard him already. He's back. Senior pastor Mark Carey. Mark, how you doing, my man? Very well. Good. Good. Guys, let's jump into a Sunday in review because we're going through Romans. It's a lot to chew on. Uh, and Mark Francis, believe it or not, is on this podcast sometimes, not today, but he chose to send us uh, an email full of questions uh, to let us tackle and handle. So I want to go ahead and devote enough time to a Sunday in review so we can kind of tackle some of that stuff, specifically end of Romans 9, beginning of Romans 10, and kind of looking back at some things we've kind of put on the back burner from Romans chapter 8. So Alicia, I'll start with you, just your thoughts on the weekend, and then address some questions. We have the printout of the email, so we'll let kind of Pastor Mark take it from there. Yeah, so I... I just want to say the last couple of sermons have been uh, really well done. I want to tell you that. And I really appreciate how you are letting the text speak. You're taking God's word and you're presenting that in a way that is um, true to the, the words on the page. And I think behind Paul's heart and ultimately God's heart. And I think that... Um, as we're digging in um, and just seeing the sovereignty of God and his majesty, uh, that really changes the lens for everything. Like when you're looking through um, the, this lens of God's sovereignty over all things, um, it really helps put us to rest. Like, our, like the, the wrestling in the inside of us of all of the what ifs it just kind of settles it down because mm. god is sovereign and in control of all things mm. so um thank you it doesn't necessarily solve the dilemmas or or put to rest the issues that we still face sure right the child with cancer mm -hmm. the spouse who died prematurely the, right. and, and it's like all right I don't get it. Yeah, because we live in a fallen world. That's right. And all that stuff throws at you. But if you take an understanding of the sovereignty of God, it does it it's designed, I think, to give us a sense of rest and peace. All right, God. Um, you know, I might not see your hand in this, but I'll trust your heart yeah. as a sovereign God in the midst of it. And yeah, it's I think it I think it's designed. Well, in the whole biblical narrative is showing us that he's trustworthy, that he is uh, unfolding this plan and his purposes will be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a faithful God and he's true to his promises. Yeah. So in light of his sovereignty, that is um, for us who have faith, that's a great place of hope and yeah. peace for our souls. There's there's so many <clears throat> biblical truths that have to you overlay 
and, and to be able to look at this whole thing, and there's just these many layers, and of course, and you just mentioned one, the, the the sinfulness of man, the fallenness of this world. Somehow, God's sovereignty works within all that. Um, you know, theologians talk about maybe His permissive will; He permits things to happen in this fallen world. Uh, in whose hand is the the God of this world uh, is accomplishing His evil, wicked purposes, and so we live in, in the midst of that as children of a sovereign God, which doesn't mean that we're not then still susceptible to the mm -hmm. to the fall, mm -hmm. and to the pain and to the to the, the the effects of sin, and and so we have to maneuver through all that in this life while we continue to trust that God's plan is being unfolded and that there's nothing in this sinful world that is going to take him by surprise or is going to thwart his ultimate good purposes that he has decreed to take place. Mm -hmm. And um, somehow even Jesus had to deal with that when he was on this earth and his humanness, as he had set aside his divine privileges, he had to wrestle with the fact that his calling was to die. Mm -hmm as an innocent man. Mm -hmm. And any anybody living in that period, to th if, if you knew that you were going to be crucified when you were age 33, <laughs> you know, if you looked ahead and said, you know, the end of this ministry of mine in, in the next two and a half years, three years, is I'm going to be executed on a cross because Psalm 22 talked about that. And, and uh, you know, Zechariah 14, uh, I'm going to be pierced through. Uh, Isaiah 53, pierced through for people's inequity. Jesus had that awareness, and yet in his humanness, to face that, uh, um, you know, can this cup be removed? <laughs> yeah. uh, but not my will, thine be done. So Jesus was susceptible to the, as Acts 2.23 says, he was put to death by the hands of godless, wicked, evil people. Yet it was all a part of God's Sovereign divine plan, the the, the predetermined uh, foreknowledge of God. Mm -hmm. When is that perspective that that determined his posture, which I think is something that's so helpful for us to try to attain. And even over these last few weeks, I've just felt like our, our corporate assembly has been doing an in-depth Bible study on Sunday mornings with diving into Romans and even this past weekend, Isaiah 65. It's It's really cool for me to see that happening in a corporate level where we do have worship, we do have all of us gathering to the best of our ability with, with COVID and everything, but it, it's really cool to focus on the depth of that. And this week we're doing counseling training with, with fellowship and mm -hmm. so John Morrison's people and Dennis and, and me and our team are going through that counseling training out of Lafayette. And one thing they share in their counseling thing, this program that's launched over the last, you know, multiple decades, we're going to focus on the depth of knowing God's word and trust God with the breadth of the ministry. Mm. And and when they said that, I, it reminded me of what we are doing on Sunday mornings of, of really, because this is deep. <laughs> I mean, we have an email to prove it. This is deep stuff we're dealing with on a, on a Sunday morning, but we can have that understanding of who God is. Like you said, all those truths layered and it gives us a, a better vision for the, the Bible as a whole, which I think is really cool. And Isaiah 65 spoke yeah. to that idea. Yeah. Um, but, but let me, let me say this though too. Yeah. Uh, even though we're, we're dealing with deep topics, I don't think we're handling it deeply. I mean, let's face it: sure. a forty-minute sermon is not going to really cut it to understand the sovereignty of God. Yeah. And if anything, I hope it stimulates people to to get into the Word, to have those discussions, mm -hmm. and 
be like the noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17 to see if these things are so and, and wrestle with it. I, I did bring a book along uh, that I would recommend to anybody. It's um, Randy Elkhorn's uh, book, If God is Good, and it's subtitled Faith in the Midst of Suffering and Evil. And he's got a whole section in there on the sovereignty of God. And I found it just helpful. And, and then he brings in a lot of these other issues about what do you do in a world of suffering and when you're suffering? And how does, um, so uh, his section six, chapter six, divine sovereignty and meaningful human choice. It's accounting for evil and suffering. So, you know, how do you, how do we wrestle with these issues of evil and suffering in light of the fact that God is sovereign. And it, I mean, it's a nice thick book, but it's well worth reading, I think. Um, so there's good resources out there, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, and that, I hope it stimulates people. That hits on Romans 10, which you didn't hit this too hard on your, in your sermon. So actually I focused in on 10, one through three, just in my own time. But Paul hits that um, because in, Verse one, he's talking about his desire and his prayer is that they'd be saved. And then um, verse two is they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And Proverbs 19.2 says desire without knowledge is not good. So we can have sincerity and zeal about things, but we totally miss the mark <laughs> a lot of times if we if it's misplaced. And um, so we have things that we can be zealous about, our sports, our politics, our education, um, hmm. terrorists, uh, they have zeal, That's right. cults have zeal, um, the Jewish people, they were zealous, even Paul was zealous, and, um, but in Philippians 3, uh, starting in verse 4, um, this is where Paul hits on that knowing, that knowledge, what mm -hmm. that knowledge is. He says, though I myself has, have reason and for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circum circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to right righteousness under the law, blameless. But Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. Then he continues to go on, but that's that's it. It's it's having zeal for God with the knowledge of Christ mm -hmm. and that knowing Him, and that's what you're you're talking about there. With it's not just enough to um, have that zeal, but to know Christ. Yeah, and and we'll actually get into next. Well, no, not this coming week because uh, Don Don Hartog is going to be doing something a little special related to all of this in Israel and, and this time of wrath that Israel is facing. So he's going to add, he's going to be the color commentary uh, uh, for, for that a little bit more. But then the following week, we'll get more into that passage, chapter 10, this idea of knowing Christ and 
what just what you're saying, Alicia, and and then our responsibility with that knowledge. And and Paul will go on and say that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Of course, here again, we have to determine what does that salvation, when Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 10, my prayer for them is for their salvation, what all does he mean by that? Mm -hmm. um, and if you think of this coming wrath um, and w what they're going to be delivered from, we'll talk about that in two weeks. But having a knowledge, an intimate relationship with the Lord, knowing that God is sovereign, if, if you're approaching him in faith, and and uh, adoring him in in love what does that look like and that's i think part of what it means to call upon the name of the lord it's one thing to believe in him it's another thing to call upon him and if we will never call upon the name of the lord if we distrust him if we don't understand his sovereignty if we don't really know him and um so you know i think again a prerequisite for um, being able to really worship God is understanding these deep things as, as best we can in our finite mind about his greatness. I mean, we ought to come away from a sermon like Sunday, or, or not, not the sermon, but some of the exposure to God's word, in one sense, feeling really small, mm -hmm. you know, because he is so uh, magnificently sovereign. And yet I didn't want to, at the same time, because Romans 9 doesn't, I didn't want to just leave it all on the sovereignty of God because he brings in the whole idea of the responsible choices that man has to make. Mm -hmm. So you've got this uh, tension, again, between a sovereign God who fulfills all things out according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11, and, and human responsibility, and the tension that is there. I jotted down a couple of verses um, like in uh, in the um, uh, Jesus's um, um, prayer, the, the Lord's prayer, Matthew six ten is just where one place it, it's quoted. And remember, Jesus says in Matthew six ten in, in the Lord's prayer, he said, "This is how you ought to pray: Thy will be done on earth as it is in, in, in heaven." Pray that God's will be done. Well, why do we have to pray that if He works all things out according to the counsel of His will? Well, because there's this real possibility that his will won't be done. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't that run counter? Or, um, you know, 1 Timothy 2.24 said, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, or second, you know, Peter 3.9, not willing that any should perish, but all to. Well, guess what? Not everyone is going to mm -hmm. come to faith. It says here, he desires all people to be saved, but not all people are going to be saved. Mm -hmm. So is his will thwarted? I thought you just preached the sovereignty of God. Or Matthew 23, 37, when Jesus, um, just days before he's crucified, he sees Jerusalem as he comes to Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, you who kill the prophets and stone those who come to you. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together like a mother hen would her chicks, but you were unwilling. How often do you... Wait a minute, here's sinful man butting up against the will of God. Luke chapter 7, verse 30, it says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. Well, I, I thought no one can stay his hand. No one, you know, it doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs. I thought God's purposes are set in concrete. And here, 
the Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves. Acts 7.51 is another where um, uh, Peter says, um, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. Given, you're giving them too much credit. They, they can't resist the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, they can. So, so there's, this other, these, there's this other side of the coin. How does it work? How does God's um, sovereign purposes that can never be thwarted, because the verses say that, yet man... Is some, relevant. Yeah. yeah. Well, and for Paul, just the knowledge of the sovereignty of God, it invigorates his prayers. If, like, the beginning of 9, which we, you know, hit hard on, so we won't hit hard on that, but he's, you know, just with great sorrow, he's has all this anguish in his heart that he's pleading for his people. And then in verse 10, 1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So he's uh, just, he's so aware of this terrible wrath that's awaiting his people and he's pouring out his heart for for God that because on behalf of them but he's totally aware of God's sovereignty yeah. and election yeah he's still praying and he's still praying and um so George Mueller um the he ha he was the one that had the orphanage in Bristol right. England and he uh prayed for God for everything, aware of God's sovereignty, just fully trusting that God would provide. And uh, I have a little excerpt from one of his writings, and he says, in November of 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others, and five years elapsed, and then the second was converted, and I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Thirty-six years later, he wrote that the other two sons of one of Mueller's friends were still not converted. He wrote, but I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men, they were finally converted, but after he died. Um, so it just, it, that encouraged me just as, you know, people, we all have people in our lives who we have that longing that they would come to know Christ. And it can be discouraging, especially year after year of praying and seeing no results. It's like, God, are you even hearing our prayers? You know, but it's just being faithful and knowing that, hey, God is, he's sovereign. He does his will and his timing. And yeah. don't be discouraged and don't stop praying. Yeah. And of course, the, the question is, so did those people come become converted? Did they trust Christ because... Mueller prayed for him and changed God's mind about it, or God was sovereign over all that. It was going to happen anyway, but he invited Mueller in and, and moved on his heart to participate exactly. in, the, yeah. in the process right. that God was already uh, unfolding. Yes. Or, yes. or, or whatever. I, you know, it, these are these are difficult questions. <laughs> well, there, there's massive ditches on either side. One is God is totally sovereign. I'm going to do nothing. You know, whatever. Just walk around. Right. Your will, you, you know, you're going to do your will. 
And, and, yeah. and, and the term for that, that is often used, is called determinism. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a strict determinism, uh, you know, throw caution to the wind or whatever, you know, God is going to, yeah, yeah. Uh, God's going to do it all, and I, we're we're totally everything is determined, and totally the, determined. The other end of the spectrum, He's not sovereign at all. We have to make it happen. We have to work towards it. And you brought it up multiple times in your sermon. Two reasons for Israel's downfall: one is God is sovereign; mm -hmm. the other is they're 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 irresponsible. That's right. Yeah, it's right. A, it's a both and. So so why do we struggle and and force our? It's got to be an either or. Well, and <laughs> that that other view, the other side, the other side yeah. of the coin is that libertarianism. It's called mm -hmm. on the opposite of determinism, which is uh, you maybe have heard of the whole concept of open theism, mm -hmm. which you know pe there's people out there who believe that God is not all-knowing and he waits to act based on what man will do it's open there's an openness yeah. so there's that ditch as you said on that side and a ditch on this side another term is uh, compatibilism which is somehow these are all compatible with one another and God is sovereign uh, but there is human responsibility and somehow that all works together now I do as I said in my sermon I do think when my will collides with his will, guess who wins? His will, yeah. Trump. His, he, right, he, yeah. his will right. is going to win, and and what and and then what? How do we? Does that work out in things like um, individual election? There's some people believe in individual elections. Some people believe in corporate election. That the, the individual is not um, elected, or it's part of that plan of God. Um, but the church, you know, it's corporate. And so once a person decides to trust Christ and it's their own free will, um, then they are part of the elect, which is the church. Uh, others would say, no, that individual is chosen. And I tend to think that way more. I think the scriptures teach that way mm -hmm. more clearly in my mind. But I see also corporate election as well, because Israel was a nation that was corporately chosen. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, yeah, we, we have to wrestle with these truths. And the scripture is the one that we go to. Right. Not a theology book. Right. But right. scripture. And and uh, we ha and scripture that, that's ultimately going to point to the, the magnitude of God, the love of God, and, and characteristics, attributes of him that, that we can cling to. Because this is the kind of stuff that divides churches, that, that leads people to become de-churched individuals. Oh, yeah. People my age, hyper-spiritualized, not religious at all. Or I have n nothing to do with organized religion. People are like, the Bible's organized religion. Yeah. It's a chaotic mess, too. Yeah. There's no organization and structure to this stuff. Yeah. You know, what, what theological acronym you want or this that and the other instead of just the breadth and depth of god's word and realizing i'm not going to know yeah everything there is to know but Our, the challenge i tried to put out at the end of the sermon was um what is your view of god because mm -hmm. we all have a view we all have a perspective of god and it might have been shaped by our upbringing and life experience right. and what we were taught in our sunday school growing up and mm -hmm. you know that that has influenced us um the bottom line is what does scripture teach and it's incumbent on us all to wrestle with God who are you the self-revelation that you've given us in your word and um, uh, Job had to do that and now it would be nice to have maybe experiences like Job had where God comes and says where were you Job when I fashioned the mountains like yeah all right I Job says, I put my hand over my mouth. I repent and, you know. Yeah. Um, but well, and it's in that humility where we will find grace and and understanding and just praying that God would help us to understand and be willing to be changed by 
his word. And instead of our the other option, which would just to be stubborn and stuck in our ways, like this is what I've always believed and I'm always going to believe it. Well, let's humble ourselves and put on some humility and just really dig in and let God's word instruct our hearts and our minds Yeah. instead of... And, 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 what my and, mom always and, said. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And and one example might be, and this was one of the questions that uh, someone had, had submitted and asked, was maybe a little more clarification back in chapter 8, where we're really introduced there to this idea of, of God's sovereignty. Um, verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um for and here's the here's why we know all things work together for good that God has a sovereign plan um for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed in the image of his son so that uh, he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined he called and these he called he justified and these whom he justified he's glorified so um i i do think that if, if you want more explanation, but I do think Paul is saying something very particular and very specific about individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, these whom he foreknew, these he called. And some people, I think, make the mistake of talking about activities, that God sees something that's going to happen, like this person gets trusts him, or they, they see he's... It's not events that... God foreknows its people. Mm-hmm. And I when I taught that passage, I was I think the word foreknow means more than omniscience. Uh, you got got foreknow has this idea of entering into a personal intimacy. relation. Mm-hmm. It's intimacy. Mm-hmm. Right. So God f- entered into intimate knowledge of a love relationship with those he foreknew and those he entered into that type of a knowledge of uh he predestined, he predetermined, but what did he predetermine? That they would be raised to newness of life, that they would have a a resurrected body and Jesus would become the firstborn of the dead. Now, obviously, in order to get that resurrected body, you got to be saved. You got to be eternally saved. There's got to be a moment of faith. So, Which uh, happened before the foundation of the world. If we go back to Ephesians 1, that uh, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ it, and now according I, to the purpose of his will <laughs> now some would interpret that Ephesians 1 4 that he chose us and they put the emphasis on in him in other words what what the the, the corporate election view is that um, and I don't want to sim- overly simplify it but the corporate election view would be that Jesus was chosen I see. And all those who put their trust and are placed in him, now you become part of the elect Mm. because you were in him. But you weren't individually chosen. Christ was. And when you put, when you, by your own free will, uh, trusted Christ, you were now placed in him and therefore you become the elect at that point. So Christ was chosen before the (laughs) foundation. What's that one called? That's called corporate election. I don't hold that. I do think he's talking about Individual, individual, individual yeah. us, because yeah. it, it says he he, he chose mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. If if he wanted to say he, he chose, chose Jesus, Jesus, then say say the that. Right. Yeah. yeah, he chose us to be in him. Right. 
but he set his affections on us. Yeah. And and it goes on there in Romans 8, to, that continued, um, uh, and whom he then predestined, he's called, and that I think is always this effectual calling um, mm -hmm. to eternal salvation. And those whom he called, then he's justified. Well, we all know how what Paul's used that term justification. That's our moment of faith when we're declared right. So we're justified. And then whom he's justified, he's, he's glorified. And then he builds on that when he says uh, in verse 33, so who will bring a charge against God's chosen, against God's elect? And again, I see that as he's talking about, he's talking about me and you and mm -hmm. individual people. Who's going to stand and point a finger at me, uh, at, at, at God's elect? Mm -hmm. uh, who he has entered into this intimate relation for knowledge mm -hmm. and is predetermined that I will be raised up and in, in resurrection like a new body, like Jesus was, who will be the firstborn among the dead. And when he did that, he also justified me and he's glorified me. So who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? I, I don't, I, I know great scholars can argue and, and take that as not individual uh, election, and and um, I I just don't see how sometimes I, I mm -hmm. just I struggle with with mm -hmm. the broader pers perspective. Mm -hmm. of it. Now that does bring in questions that were raised by Paul himself, anticipated in Romans nine. Seems like God is unfair then, or you know, is is there some injustice with God? And but he answers then. You know, who who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Right. So. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, you know, we can look at um, you know that that passage in Second um, Peter three nine, uh, and, and which says the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Well, that's true. Now, again, you got to do your Bible study. Okay, what does repentance mean, and what does perish mean and not wishing any should perish and uh, you know what what does that all mean not getting into that in this podcast but i do think it's interesting that just two verses before he's using the illustration of a flood verse five um uh, uh and six the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water he talks about this coming flood and um Verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, um, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But God's not wishing for any to perish. But Okay, so right even within that context, there's a seeming <laughs> contradiction of the character of God. He talks about the flood. God's not wishing any to perish. Well, guess what? Genesis chapter 6 said, I'm tired of these guys. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I made man. And he <laughs> brings a flood and destroys him. And then Peter says he's going to do it again at the end. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a coming fire and judgment reserved for ungodly men. But he's not willing for any to perish. He's not willing for any to perish, but at the same time, he's going to destroy ungodly men. That's his will. Put it all into perspective. It's so hard to... Right. The finite can't put our minds around the infinite. Mm -hmm. When it all says, and, it's and all a lot of a lot of people, especially my age, are just caught up on that. That's so unfair. God is so unfair. And I'm like, you wouldn't, 
you don't want him to be fair. You don't the, want the gospel. What you deserve. <laughs> the gospel is the most unfair thing ever. <laughs> so we don't want God to, you know, it, nobody's deserving of what God has given the many the opportunity to have. And, and we get so caught up in, I think, trying to make this God into what we want him to be. We forget the idea that, that God wants us to be the, the thing that he provided. Yeah. F uh, being fair would be having people who are neutral in their relationship with him. And and then God chooses some and overlooks the others. But the scriptures teach no one right. is born neutral. Right. We're, we're all dead in our trespasses and we're, sins. Ephesians 2, we're all dead. Back in, in uh, Romans 8, he had said um, um, that you were, um, before we trusted Christ, we were enemies mm -hmm. of God. We were enemies of him. Um, and he said, um, um, back there in chapter 8, verse 7, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile towards God, uh, for it, it does not subject itself to the law of God. And then it says it's not even able to do so. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter um, uh, 2, verse uh, 14, uh, says the very same thing in a little different way. He says, um, a natural man, that's an unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. He cannot understand them. Romans 8, he cannot, he's unable to move towards God. Uh, Romans chapter 3, there's none who seeks God. No, not one, because we're all born with this propensity of an evil heart mm -hmm. away from God. We want right. nothing to do with God. Right. Um, no, if God were fair, we would all end up in hell. Yeah. Uh, Martin, yeah. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, he says this in Romans 9, verses 6 to 29, Paul explains why anybody is saved. It is the sovereign election of God. In these verses, 30 through 33, he's showing us why anybody is lost, and the explanation of that is their own responsibility. So this is what the Bible teaches. Election alone accounts for the saved, but non-election does not account for the lost. No one would be saved were it not that God in a sovereign manner has chosen him, as we have seen abundantly from verses 6 through 29. It is God's action alone that saves a man. So why is anybody lost? Is it because they are not elected? No. What accounts for the lost is their rejection of the gospel. We are, res we are responsible for our rejection of the gospel, but we are not responsible for our acceptance of it. So God is the one that puts faith in our hearts. And we are the ones <laughs> who naturally just reject the gospel. And it's not until he cuts in and puts faith in our heart that we will believe. Yeah, we, we, something has to move on us. Mm -hmm. uh, now, how, what, how theologians try to explain that um, there's various confusing. permeations of yeah. how that, you know, uh, Wesleyan, uh, Charles and Jonathan Wesley had a particular perspective of how that happened. They called it prevenient grace. And, and of course, Calvin and, and irresistible. That, you, you, you talk about irresistible grace and there's different ways. Um, but yeah, I think if you take the scriptures at face value, mankind is born, uh, We're not, dead. not natural, not <laughs> yeah. neutral. Um, now, I will say again, I want to emphasize this again. I, I do think certain theologies in going through Romans 9 jump right to this doctrine of election, election, and, and build it all out. 
and and even in a sense Martin Lloyd Jones just did that too. Romans nine, Paul is specifically talking about Israel, and if we're going to be literalist and look at the text, I, I'm not sure I can build a case for individual election, whatever. On Romans 9, it might be illustrative of it. Sure. And, and people, and I mentioned this, I think, in the last podcast, people can jump to the conclusion that Paul used is there in Romans 9, the example of uh, Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and they jump to the conclusion, well, one was destined for eternal hell, and you know Ishmael and Isaac was destined for eternal glory, and Jacob was destined for eternal glory, and Esau was destined for eternal hell. No, that's not what the text says. As far as I'm concerned, it's probably possible that both Esau and Ishmael will get will be in glory. Right. Uh, it, it was an illustration of God's selective work towards Israel. So I, I again I but now it does what God do does for Israel. Can you extrapolate that beyond that? Uh, and 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 so you have to bring in other passages. And I think. I, Romans eight is one of those, and, and other passages. But um, you know, it's a, it's the hard work of uh, of Bible study, I guess. That uh, you know, there was another question too about the um, um, uh, let's see here, remnant uh, or the other. You have the third, the, the end of Romans nine uh, about the law of righteousness. Um, oh, yeah. um, let's see here. What about Old Testament Israel? Would it be safe to say that um, there could be a large portion of Jews over those many years who pursued a law of righteousness and not the law of faith? Um, well, yeah, and I think that was the problem all throughout the Jewish history in the Old Testament. They, they, they were not faith pursuers. They, they were not following in the steps of their father Abraham, mm. who believed God that it was reckoned to him as righteousness. They believed in their system. They believed in themselves. And if I do, which is what religion does. Mm -hmm. um, so here's the code. And if I follow that, but they begin to realize I can't follow it. And they basically gave up and they followed the other gods and they did their own thing and judgment came. Um, I think this idea of a remnant, that is that there is a small amount of believing uh, throughout the history of Israel. There was a, that thread of, of a believing remnant. Now, it might have been larger than what Elijah thought. He said, I alone, and we'll see that in, in chapter 10, <laughs> I have alone, and God said, there's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to, to Baal. Hmm. But there, you know, Paul is saying, look, I'm a one of them. I'm saved. Peter, mm -hmm. James, John, there were, right. you know, the early church had, but it was compared to the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. So that believing remnant was was small, and it was small even in the in the Old Testament days. Now, We'll see when we get to chapter 11, it does say one day all Israel will be saved. And I, again, I just want to caution when it comes to Bible study, if it says Israel, it says Israel. I don't, why do we have to spiritualize that to say it means the spiritual Israel, meaning the church today? No, it's in Israel. So let's leave say it, it's Israel, which fits Old Testament uh, prophetic scriptures. There is a day coming, and that was one of the questions, there is a day coming when Jesus returns, and Don Denhartog is going to talk about this next week, that all living Jews at that time, at the second coming of Christ, all living Jews will turn to faith in Jesus. Every Jew will, at that point, be um, a believer. And um, Don's going to talk about that, and I'll talk about it when we get to chapter 11. 
So if we are interpreting scripture properly and taking it at face value, letting the, in a literal face value way, it would indicate that there is a day coming hmm. just before, as Christ returns where every living Jew will trust Christ as their Savior. It's exciting. Do you hear it? Do you hear yeah, it? Based yeah, Do you hear that yeah. on the podcast? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, if yeah, that's uh, super distracting. Somebody's, I have no clue, so. Maybe Jesus is coming. It's back. just exciting. Yeah, it's exciting <laughs> times. The, the church is shaking. Um, <laughs> anyway. So you're going to Shenandoah County next week. Are yes. you talking about this stuff? No, no. You're uh, mixing it up? Don's teaching the book of James. So I'm just going to continue oh, cool. on with James chapter 3 on the tongue. Yeah. Oh, nice. very good. On Shenandoah County. Yeah, cool. Great. That's awesome. Chapter 3, 1 through 12, I think it is. Sweet. Have you been down there yet to, to see Great. on a Sunday morning? Yes. Okay, good. Good. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here. Uh, thank you to our listeners and viewers. As a reminder, you can find us on podcast services everywhere, fbcva.life forward slash sermon spotlight. Another excellent place to find us. Leave feedback, drop a review, uh, subscribe on YouTube, all that good stuff. Uh, the fact of the matter, everybody, is that sermons are not meant to just take an hour, but rather transform a lifetime. Until next week, much love. God bless. Mm-hmm.